Hello and welcome to the Sports Loft podcast where we talk about the intersection of technology with the worlds of sports, media and entertainment. Today we're back with the investors view where we talk to leading venture capitalists in the in the space about what they're thinking, what they're seeing, how their VCs operate and generally taking as the title suggests the investors view. Today we're really excited to be joined by um, a heavyweight in the in the space. Uh, we're being joined by Conrad von Moltke, who is the principal at Wise Ventures, um, and Wise Ventures is the fund which is focused on supporting the evolution of innovative businesses operating in sports media and entertainment. And as a way of disclosure, uh, Wise does have investment in a number of our sports loft member companies, such as Tagboard and Fivo, as well as our former but very distinguished and friendly member Slate. Uh, Conrad joined Wise Ventures uh, as an investor in 2021 and has since risen through the ranks to become a principal. So, Conrad, welcome to the Sports Off Podcast. Thanks. Thanks so much, Yanni. Uh, excited to be here. Uh, it's great to have you on board. And I've given the sort of uh, crib sheet version, but why don't you give us the kind of fully more fully fledged version of uh, what is Wise Ventures and um, what you do day to day within the organization? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Happy to, to kind of rewind it a bit. So, so I come uh, from, a, from a long athletic background. I was you know, a lifelong athlete across many different sports. I've been a fan. Um, I've always been interested in the intersection of, of business and sports. Um, I was a college swimmer at Dartmouth College um, before going into investment banking and then private equity uh, investing. And I think where I caught the bug for, for early stage uh, venture investing in the sports world was when I went to Stanford where I did my MBA work. Um, so I led the sports management club there. Um, I advised some early stage companies in the VC tech media spaces. And I tried to network and talk to as many people as possible. And I, I really caught the bug um, there. Um, when I was a second year, I got introduced to the Wilf family um, who, run, who run Wise Ventures. Um, and so I joined, you know, coming, coming out of school in, in 2021. Um, Wise is the investment arm of the Wilf family. So I think a, a lot of people know them uh, from their sports uh, backgrounds, but their, their initial business was in the real estate space uh, across a bunch of different asset classes. Um, they're owners of the Minnesota Vikings uh, in the NFL, and then also Orlando City, SC and Pride, uh, men's and women's teams, you know, first division soccer down in Florida. And, 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 and you know, in, if, if I were to look at my day-to-day, you know, I, I manage the day-to-day of Wise Ventures, which touches everything investment-related across two main themes, one being real estate in the built environment, um, and then you know, the other being sports, media, and entertainment. And I'd say we take a pretty broad view of what sports, media, and entertainment is. So we'll look at consumer businesses, we'll look at health and wellness companies, uh, we, we, we always try to have a, have a kind of, you know, kind of wide top of the funnel. Um, we've got close to 30 active investments, which we've made. Uh, typically, our first check is at the Cedar Series A uh, timeframe. And I'd say, you know, the biggest differentiator for us is we're highly strategic. So um, we partner with our sports assets, uh, with the Vikings, with Orlando City, to help diligence the various companies that we're seeing. Uh, I'll act as a sourcing function where I might see something that could be interesting for our guys to use on the customer side and I'll funnel it that way. And then vice versa, 
you know, my, my inbox is getting blown up by folks from the Vikings in Orlando who are saying, hey, you know, my buddy who's at this team is using this software, and I heard that they're going out for a Series A round. Why don't we team up and take a look? Um, so, so I think for, for me, one of the biggest components is really just working really closely with the folks at our teams, both during the initial uh, kind of pitch and evaluation, looking at the diligence phase, and then most importantly, after the fact. Um, and, and the sort of end goal here, and you know, we can get into this later with, with Fivo and, and Slate and Tagboard, which is we like to marry our investment dollars uh, from the Will family with a strategic customer relationship, uh, both at the team level and then hopefully, you know, across the various leagues that we're in at the league level and, and, and kind of helping to open doors that way. So, you know, I'd say we're, we're highly strategic and that's always in the back of our head. How can, how can we tie in other Wilf, Wilf companies? Excellent. So, um, because this is a sports podcast, ultimately, what was your favorite sporting moment of the week? Oh, of the week. Um, well, you can, you can go a bit longer than that oh, if you want. What let's was do, yeah, let's do, let's do a week. So I've been watching this quarterback show on Netflix, uh, which is, which is following. Is it good? Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. And, and, and it, it also, it follows Kirk Cousins, our, 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 our quarterback for the Vikings. Yeah. So he's one of, he's one of the, the, you know, kind of guys that's profiled and it's backwards looking. So, um, it goes week by week. And so, you know, I've been in all these places, right? I, I, I distinctly remember they were going through the game where our guys came back and beat the Bills, uh, mm-hmm. you know, huge upset last minute back and forth. And I was like, I remember exactly where I was, who I was with, because, you know, I've been following this team with my, with my job. I've been following them religiously. Um, and, and so it's, it's been interesting to watch a show and, and hear the commentary and know exactly what's going to happen but also be excited about, oh, like, I, I wonder what, you know, what the coach was saying at this point or what the players were saying. So mm. uh, it's kind of a combination. I, I love training camp, but I also, I've been, I've been uh, nerding out over that quarterback show. Uh, well, it, it certainly speaks a lot to kind of the, the transitioning face of sports media as well, doesn't it? And kind of how actually, even if you know the result, hearing the stories and seeing the behind the scenes actually just adds to your experience as opposed to becoming something you don't want to follow. Hey, look, there's, there's a, in, like, across emerging sports, you know, traditional sports, there's so much content being produced, and I don't see that ending anytime soon, and people are super excited to dig into that and, and allocate some time. So, you know, let's, let's, let's keep it going. I, I love that stuff. The other business that everybody seems to be launching, you know, aside from, uh, from some sort of fund is, uh, is a production company. So it's definitely not going to stop anytime soon. Right. So uh, walk me through this. Was there uh, was there a um, strategic decision given um, the family obviously comes from a real estate background, as you say, um, uh, has has been invested or the, the owners of the Minnesota Vikings for a while now. Um, was there sort of a strategic decision to take that expertise in sport and start to look into sports media and technology um, uh, kind of investments at the early stage? Uh, or is it something that grew organically through those, through those kinds of opportunities that you described where, you know, people within the, the infrastructure started saying, hey, we should look at this. Hey, this is an opportunity. And, and it kind of grew from there. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. I think a lot of uh, sports owners are faced with similar questions. I'd say it's a combination of both of those, right? So a lot of it relies on having the buy-in from 
the various stakeholders at the team side. And it can't just come from the ownership group, right? It has to come from the C-suite, the executive vice president, the vice presidents, the people that are implementing the different technologies. So there needs to be that desire to be an innovative hub, which I think we've gotten to a really great place with the Vikings and also with Orlando, where they're, they're raising their hand and saying, hey, Conrad, I, I'm excited about taking this pitch meeting. Can you, can you make time this Friday? I've got a block of time, you know, 1 to 3 p.m. Let's, let's get on the phone with this founder and, and, see, and see what we both think. Um, but I think at the same time, there, you know, sports is a very competitive, uh, you know, very, very competitive space on the field from a business environment. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a pressure cooker mentality. And so I'm excited about ways that I can help further the competitive side of the equation with our teams, the business and the workflow side um, of our teams and, and really find ways that we can get to win wins. Um, so I think it's, it's kind of three pronged, right? You got to have someone like me who's excited about doing this stuff and is full, fully dedicated full time to it. You're, you got to have the ownership group, the Wilfs who have, you know, been super supportive of me and have, have allowed me to, to kind of build my portfolio over the years. And then you have to have the people on the team side who, um, you know, are, are also excited about it. And if, if you're missing any of those, then, you know, things can go sideways. Absolutely. And it, it's quite interesting, isn't it, how, um, and we're starting to see this developing in Europe a little bit, but seeing how ownership groups um, have started to see this real opportunity and, uh, and, and started to create their own funds dedicated to uh, early stage investing in sports. Um, you know, some focused on technology, some focused on rights, you know, but a, a variety of different things. Wise was one of the first, you know, there's, uh, there's obviously others, there's Titletown Tech from another NFC team up in your area who shall remain nameless. Yep. Uh, there's the 49er, um, uh, the 49ers venture fund, you know, the 76ers have had one for ages. Are, 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 how much has um, the, the, the industry, and by the industry, I don't mean the, the, the venture industry, I mean the, the sports industry, kind of started to lean into, into that model um, at the ownership and executive level and said, actually, we have something here that differentiates us as a early stage investor. Um, uh, and, and how are you seeing that play across the landscape? Yeah, you know, I think the first, the first thing I would say there is, you know, all of those other NFL teams you listed, you know, we are, we are not friends with them on the field. Um, but, but, on, but on the investing side, I am very close friends and Wise is very friendly with them. Um, you know, we can get into this more, but venture investing, especially within sports and at the early stage is super, super collaborative and team oriented. And there's not a lot of blocking other investors out when you're looking at groups that are like the title towns, like WISE, where you're going to deliver something more than just capital. Mm -hmm. So if anything, founders and lead investors are excited to increase the round, you know, round sizes uh, to make room for, for groups like us. And it's a, it's a key part of my diligence process to, to screen investments with those other friendly VCs and compare notes. And, you know, I'm sure others would, would attest to this too. You know, we've got monthly recurring catch-ups with all the, the kind of heads of state in the industry where we literally run through our pipelines and say, this is what I'm excited about. You know, this, this is something that I'm kind of lukewarm on, but I had questions about this. I know you spoke with this group. What do you think? Um, and, and so I think, you know, from, from that standpoint, it's very collaborative. I think to your, to your question about, you know, 
kind of how the the sports um, you know kind of ownership group and, and and venture is evolving. You know, sports is not just what happens on the field and what happens in the stadium. You're seeing all these kind of mixed use development projects. Um, you're seeing you're seeing you know ways to kind of wrap a commercial engine around a sports property and around a brand and trying to get other kind of legs of the revenue stool. And I think a lot of these ownership groups view the venture strategy as one, an ability to get a financial return, which always matters, but two, it's a way to bring in the best of the best and the cream of the crop when it comes to vendors and other types of partners. And if you have someone fully dedicated who's out in the field day to day mining that and, and, and getting a good view of the market, um, it, it allows the folks at the business unit themselves to focus on producing the best product. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm thinking of myself like a Tour de France Peloton rider where I'm out kind of doing my own thing and then I kind of, you know, come into the slipstream mm -hmm. and say, oh, if, if we're, we're looking at fan engagement stuff, okay, like I'm going to spend the next two weeks get, becoming an expert in fan engagement. Very interesting. To that point, tell us a little bit about what you think sets wise apart from a, an investment thesis perspective and kind of how you look at uh, how you look at the market and where your investments are kind of grouped thematically so we're we're naturally looking for places where we can be strategic and we take a pretty broad view of what that means that could be delivering a signed customer contract a paid pilot um, and being part part of the customer list as, as a paying customer it could be um, helping with some sort of strategic distribution agreement. There could be some sort of co-marketing uh, agreement where one of our portfolio companies and the Vikings are, are doing something together. Um, and, and then I think the biggest kind of place of value add is through being a connector. And, and I would say a lot of the groups that, that are in the Wise Ventures family um, would, would say that you know, once we make the investment, and even sometimes during the diligence process, we are, we are really turning the jets on when it comes to making introductions, whether that's on the customer side, whether that's on the investor side, finding other groups that, are, that look and smell and feel like wise, where there are sports teams connected to venture groups. Um, and, and then I think we're, we're also trying to open doors either at the league level um, or, or in, in kind of other pockets of the sports industry to help our companies go from maybe being penetrated in one league to you know, kind of canvassing the broader, the broader landscape. From a from a thematic standpoint, you know, I, I would say we're we're focused on on having people live happier, healthier, more productive, longer lives. And, and I think if if we go company by company in the portfolio, there's a way um, in which each of our companies, to some extent, are are kind of helping with that with that guiding philosophy. So that's something that I always keep uh, keep kind of in the back of my head. Um, in terms of, in terms of uh, you know, kind of thesis. And then from a process standpoint, um, you know, at, the, at the seed in Series A, the, the you know, team, is, team is highly critical. Um, you know, I'd say that's one for us. Two is what's the strategic rationale and fit. And then the, you know, the, 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 the kind of third piece, which is where a lot of the companies you know, kind of fall out of our pipeline is what is proprietary? What is the competitive edge? What mm. is the unfair advantage? That, that's going to allow this company to be the market winner. Um, you know, we're, we're not in the business of backing, you know, companies that are going to be, you know, kind of one of many in the future. Our, our goal is to, at the early stage, identify 
companies that can be the best mm -hmm. and, and can eventually have the most market share or maybe they get acquired into another company and, and can help that company you know, get to new heights. Um, so I'd say it's team, it's, it's you know, what's the fit, why, why does WISE make sense for you and, and, and why do you make sense for WISE and, and, and the Will family? And then it's, you know, can I point to something that's going to be lasting in terms of an advantage? Mm. And uh, does, does that then mean that there are certain areas that um, you wouldn't touch? Or is it kind of business and potential returns above all else? Like, would you not get involved, for example, with a uh, uh, new property or league? Uh, you know, are you looking at tech or... Uh, would you not touch uh, Web3, for example? Uh, or is mm -hmm. there like a, 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 a an overriding sort of um, thesis in terms of what you look at in terms of tech implementation where your ecosystem can then expand and bring on board those uh, those companies as a uh, as a service provider? I'd, I'd say in in sports, media, entertainment, broadly defined, you know, there's there's every type of business model and mm. uh, you know company that I'll that I'll take a look at. Um, I I read through every pitch deck I receive. You know, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, a year. Um, that's that's one of the most exciting parts of the job. Like I, I love hearing founders tell their stories um, and kind of hear about the challenges, what's going well, kind of how they how they stumbled upon this idea. Um, you know what what makes what makes the founder uniquely suited you know suit, suited to uh, you know kind of tackle this problem. So I, I, I get a lot of energy uh, personally from 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 doing that. Um, and and you know you never know. Sometimes you're surprised. You might come into a meeting thinking this isn't this thing doesn't have legs, and then uh, you know it's the, the meeting goes better than expected, and then. You, you, you know, I, I send it up the chain to, uh, you know, the folks at, at, at Vikings or Orlando expecting, uh, hey, you know, let's engage with this in a month. And then they, they come back and they say, no, let's do it this week. And, you know, this is actually something that we, you know, had on our on our kind of product roadmap that we're looking for something. So uh, you never know is, is what I would say. Awesome. I, I, I'll, I'll plug you later for uh, actual names of companies where that happened because that sounds fascinating. But let's let's move um, uh, let's move to a to a slightly bigger concept around kind of how you guys look to approach investments. Are you um, and and where are you by the way right now in the uh, in the cycle? Have you are, are you raising and deploying? Are you just deploying? Have you uh, closed some funds? Tell everybody where you stand on that side. Yeah, no, we're, um, we're, we're actively deploying. So this year we've done a number of new deals. We've uh, done a number of follow-ons, uh, you know, kind of across the portfolio as our companies are going from, from seed to series A, for example. We've, we have had a couple of those that have, mm -hmm. that have kind of made the next step, which is great. Um, so we're, we're, we're completely open for business. Um, and, and I'd say, you know, kind of... Uh, Preempting what I'm sure will will be the kind of a next question is, you know, with the, with with what's going on in the market, is there is there any impact? And you know, mm -hmm. I, I would say to a certain extent, you know, we are strategic follow-on investors, um, and, and so as the market slows down, there might be a, a little bit of a slowdown in terms of number of deals. Um, but but I think you know, broad, broadly, it's not you know, we're we're still. We're still disciplined. We were disciplined last year and the year before. There was a reason that we did all of the deals we did from a strategic standpoint. And you know, I think whether it's on the real estate side or with one of our teams, uh, you know, if if we can be helpful 
um, you know, bringing capital, bringing a customer relationship, validating a product, um, you know, we're, we're going to continue to invest. So, uh, yeah, our group is our group is all systems go. Um, you know, I, I think there's there's probably been a pullback from what I call venture capital tourists, which is groups that haven't done venture historically and they saw what was happening in the market the past few years. They come in, they come into the ecosystem, they write a bunch of big checks at a big valuation, and you know, now they're kind of left holding the bag and uh, they've retreated. I, I, I personally think that's good for the industry um, you, you know, to, to kind of have, ha- have some of those players you know, kind of go, go back to what they were doing before. Um, and you know, as, as you referenced earlier, um, you know, there's, there's plenty of strategic capital that's, that's at the early stage. There's plenty of financially focused capital at the early stage. So, you know, I think a little bit of dose of reality is good, uh, to a certain extent. And yeah, wise, wise is, you know, still open We've we've been, uh, continuing to make investments and, you know, our group, uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure the guys at the Vikings in Orlando are, are kind of rolling their eyes. Like how many, how many opportunities I'm sending their way. So Everything, everything is good on our end. Excellent. So um, on that and on that um, sort of smart strategic capital that's available in the way that you work with other venture funds that are um, uh, affiliated to or owned by um, uh, other teams in major leagues, um, do you have a preference about leading? Uh, do you, will, will you happily follow? Are there some that you'll follow more readily than others? Um, you know, you need, don't need to speak about specifics, obviously, but, yeah. um, you know, where do you guys sit on that? Yeah. You know, it's for, for us, it's a mix. Um, I have a couple board seats where we're the largest outside investor doing biweekly calls, super involved, um, operationally. We have some where we are we are smaller on, on the cap table. Um, I would say the majority of the time we are strategic, you know, co-investor follow-on, um, you know, from from a kind of size and scale. So we like to be that that second tier uh, from a sizing, right? Mm-hmm. You've got a lead or a co- couple co-leads that come in, and we're maybe just a hair a hair below that. And if there is a, if there is a high strategic fit, you know, I, I'm taking a board observer role, which, you know, serves a variety of purposes. One is just to make sure that, that we're getting the right information flow. Uh, but I think importantly, you know, I'm, I'm seeing the day-to-day of the company and that makes the advice and the guidance um, that I can give as it relates to sports go to market, for example, uh, that much more effective. So, you know, if one of my portfolio companies comes to me out of the blue and says, I need help getting, getting intros into these 10 teams that I know that, that, that you have contacts at, if I've been in those board meetings, I know exactly what the strengths are in the product, who, who we should be going after, what the selling motion is, what matters most, um, to those teams. Um, but, but I think our group is, is highly focused on who's involved on, 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 on the cap table, highly focused. Mm -hmm. That is, that's a question 10 out of 10 times when we're bringing something to committee for a decision. Um, I've yet to, right. I've yet to uh, get anything even close to approved without going through line by line who the other groups are around the table, either prior investors, people that are reinvesting here, new investors, folks that mm-hmm. maybe I'm able to bring into the round where we're committed for a certain amount and then, and then we go and, and get some friendlies to come in. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's, 
that's also one of the one of the kind of pieces of advice I would give to founders is when you're assembling a cap table, think about the different groups in various buckets and think about what you need today, but also what you need in the future. So if you think your product's gonna evolve or your addressable market is gonna change in some, some meaningful way, it makes a lot of sense to have groups that can help you, uh, you know, kind of across the different areas. For example, Tagboard, which is you know, a sports loft company that we're, we're a customer and and a and a investor we're we're a happy we're a happy investor and we're a happy longtime customer with that so that's a perfect you know right in the middle of the fairway wise wise type of deal that cap table is loaded right so we've got several prominent uh big four sports ownership groups who are who are invested in a meaningful way we've got some folks from emerging leagues who are who are in the in in in, in the in the room with us we've got we've got sinclair who's super impactful from the broadcasting and the media space uh, also involved in that. And then the lead investors are a group of highly specialized software go-to-market uh, investment groups who have geographic ties to uh, the West Coast where, where the business is based. So if, I were to, if you were to blindfold me and say, what's the ideal cap table for that business, I literally would, would get to you know, probably 95% of the way there for what they have. And mm -hmm. it's a testament to Nate and team uh, and, and the you know, kind of patience that they've shown over the years uh, to really bring a great group together. Um, and and that's, that's a learning that, I, I'm, that, that I'm taking and I hold pretty close uh, to my heart and, and, and that is, is something that I'm gonna be perpetuating you know, across, across my other companies. Mm. For sure, and uh, Nate, uh, Nate Peterson, for those who uh, are, are listening, um, the CEO of, of Tagboard and uh, a, a guy who's used to me blowing the proverbial smoke, uh, but who is really, really great and, and fantastic. Interestingly, not one of the founders of Tagboard, which, which leads me to my, to my next question, because when you look at someone like Tagboard and you see that executive team and you see Nate, who is you know, second to none, um, that sort of is, a, is, a, is an investment that came after the company had pivoted a few times. Nate came in to kind of turn it around. Um, but you're often looking far earlier at, um, you know, very much the founder stage, a nascent company, as you said, a seed, a seed slash series. A. Yeah, um, correct. Have you been able to kind of extract any key themes about what makes founders successful and what you look for in founders? Because... You look at you know you look at the founders of of even the um, even the sportsloft companies and each one of them is fantastic in their own way but they're very very different um, uh, and you know the one thing that that does sometimes define them is is the vision that they have but then even their ability to articulate that vision is different between them so I'm very fascinated to kind of take your investor's view and see is like what is your takeaway in what you look for. Yeah, I, and I, I would be curious what some others on, on your podcast have said, because my, my guess is if you canvas 10 VCs, you're going to get 10 different answers, maybe some overlap, but there'll be different kind of weightings for sure. At the early stage, it is what is something that is unique to the founder in terms of their lived experience, their network that they have, their, their prior personal professional experience, something that makes them the right person to be tackling this problem. And oftentimes mm -hmm. at that stage, there might not even be a product. So I, I, I sometimes hesitate to use the word 
product market fit because mm -hmm. the product's going to evolve, the market's going to evolve. Sometimes it's pre-product. So, you know, I, I think in, in, in general, if you look at a founder, there needs to be founder and, and problem, founder and problem fit. What is something that the founder experienced uh, or, or, or kind of knows about or has, has in their network that leads them to be the, 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 right, the right, you know, guy or girl to, to, to lead this type of business? And then I also think at the early stage, you can really boil everything down to sales. You know, it sounds cliche to say, but, you know, when, when founders are, are talking to me, they're trying to sell me on their vision. They're trying to get us to make a sizable equity investment into the, into the business and uh, agree to be there for the long run. So mm. we're super excited about continuing to back our companies. We have companies in our portfolio that have been with us since 2016, 2017. It's, venture is a long game. It's, it's a patient game and it's a long game. And the first pillar of that is selling, selling your vision to investors. The, the second kind of part of that is how do I create a business? I have to sell my vision now to customers. I have to sell my vision to distributors, to partners, whatever the type of business model is. How do I get, how do I get revenues in the door? And then the third, which is something that's very often overlooked, how do I sell other talented individuals to join me on the journey full-time or part-time as advisors? How do I get people in, in my neck of the woods and, and on my team and to say, yes, I believe in this company, I believe in you, I'm gonna sign up as head of strategic finance. I'm gonna be mm -hmm. your first, I'm gonna be your first go-to-market person, CRO. Um, I'm gonna be the founding engineer. Um, and, and, and that, and that starts the, that kind of starts the flywheel. And if the founder can't do, if, if the founder can't sell investors, sell partners or sell, you know, potential employees, then it's, you know, it's probably going to stall out. Mm. Um, and so that, that's a, that's a, 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 you know, it's, it's not a measurable skill. Um, but it's something that I look for in reference checks. So I'll essentially ask my, ask the references, tell me about a time when, XYZ person built a team around them and inspired people to get from A to B. And it's okay if they weren't the chief executive. Mm -hmm. Very few people have prior chief executive roles before they start companies. And that's totally, that's totally fine. Um, and then I think the last piece, which I would pound the table for all founders to do this, and it's probably my, my biggest piece of advice is, you know, squeaky wheel gets the grease. So mm. if you have a cap table, you should be very selfish and super organized and proactive about using your cap tables references, using their network, having them open doors for you, having them help in certain ways, getting advice on things. Um, too many, too often, I think founders try to go, go at it alone. Um, and you know, for me, if, if, if someone emails me and, uh, asks for advice on capital raising plan, Hey, we're going out for a bridge round. We're going to need to, you know, cobble together another two million bucks. Who do you think will be good? I respond. Here's here's 15 names that I've spoken to in the last month who I know would be a good fit. Let's let's tag team this and 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 get after it. So, um, you know, I, I would say a, a, another kind of skill in founders is how do you ask for ask for help? How do you how do you know when and where to look for um, you know guidance from from the folks on on, on your table? It's a tough, tough human skill, that, isn't it, asking for help? It's something that a lot of people are really not good at and a lot of very successful people actually have, have managed to crack the code on. Um, but I'm, I'm fascinated by this because you speak about that very passionately. Have you 
Conrad van Moltke, today, 8th of August, 2023, that we're speaking. Have you ever been tempted to, to jump to the other side? Have you ever seen something where you're like, oh, man, I'd like to get involved with that or had an idea of, uh, you know, that you were like, maybe I'll go pursue this? Has, uh, has, has that ever been an itch? Um, you know, I, I, I love being on, being on the venture side. Um, I, I'm, I'm the type of person that loves doing a million different things hmm. across a bunch of different projects all at once. And, you know, for me, the kind of mode shifting between things actually gives me energy, uh, which, is, which I found is quite rare. Most, most people like to spend, you know, a chunk of time focused on one thing and then go to the next thing. Mm. For me, I actually, I think when I'm switching between a bunch of different things, it allows me in my subconscious to kind of process the other things I was doing in the past. Then when I come back to it, I kind of have this, you know, a little bit more kind of insight and clarity in, into what I'm doing. And so for me, the venture stuff is, is perfect for that, right? I've got, you know, I got a board meeting. I have a, you know, a quarterly catch up with someone from the business unit. I've got four pitches. I'm working on some investment committee slides. It's, you know, it's bang, bang, uh, you know, throughout the day. So, uh, you know, so far, no, no itch, but, uh, you know, and, and, and look, I'm, I'm, I'm a team of one here and I've got a great support system. Uh, it, it's almost like running a, you know, running a startup and, and being entrepreneurial with, mm. with Wise, Very where, um, you know, I, I'm running our kind of new deal pipeline. I'm, uh, following on with our with our existing portfolio and adding value, and we're we're kind of like a ship that's going through, right? And I'm constantly speaking with the various generations of the family to think, you know, what are some places that we want to spend more time in? What gets us excited? Where can we, uh, you know, kind of be the most impactful? And so part of part of my job is is thinking like a startup person, which is here's what's going on in the market, here's what's going on internally with our group you know, how do we marry the two and, and find the best place to operate? So that brings me to my next question then, which is quite simply, how? I mean, how do you even find time to do all of that? Because you've got, you know, thousands of pitch decks that you read through all the time because you want to make sure that you're getting the best deal flow. You've got the team that you're managing as well. You've got um, the investments, upwards of 20, that you're, you're, you're running at the same time. You've got the network of other uh, financiers and investors that you need to keep up. Uh, sounds like a lot. Like, that's a – what's the secret? <laughs> um yeah, I mean, I, I've always been, you know, highly organized. I'm, I'm one of those, those guys that's a clean inbox type of person. So I've got all sorts of rules, um, you know, all sorts of filing folder systems. And it's a little bit of an upfront investment. Um, and I know there are two camps of this. Uh, but it's, it, for me, it's a bit of an upfront investment. But then when I look at my inbox, like that's my to-do list. Um, and it, it doesn't bother me to have, to have things that sit in there and like, you know, we'll be, you know, a week, you know, Hey, this is something I need to do next week. It, it doesn't cause me stress to look at it. It mm. actually causes me comfort to say like, okay, this is my to-do list. Um, yeah, just being organized. Nice. Nice. So changing gears a little bit and looking at the, um, at the overall market and we've, uh, you know, you, you, you touched on a little bit. Um, obviously things have changed quite um, rapidly, well, rapidly is the wrong word, drastically 
uh, over the last uh, 18, um, 18 months or so, um, you know, to the extent that on a couple of these investors uh, view, uh, you know, um, podcasts, we've had people sort of transition from saying, you know, valuations are bananas right now. And, you know, we're seeing people sort of cut checks and you alluded to it earlier, you called them venture capital tourists, <laughs> really enjoyed, um, you know, people cutting huge checks, at, you know, uh, um, crazy valuations to now, the flip side starting to happen where, you know, capital is really tight and investment is is really good. Do you, what do you see um, as the economy starts to kind of settle, hopefully interest rates start to settle as well a little bit, um, and uh, and as things start to uh, start to evolve, what do you see as the next sort of phase in this process? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, towards the end of this year and early next, I, I expect the the public markets, uh, you know, to open back up, which is obviously a key exit route for a lot of these companies, a key source of liquidity. Um, and, and a lot of limited partners, um, you know, are kind of uh, scratching their head about why capital hasn't come back to them yet. And it's really because you know, a lot of these high performing companies are being held, held private a little bit longer than they have in the past. And in the past, it was definitely an aberration. So if you look back you know, decades to when the venture capital industry first started, you know, I think we're closer to where we are now than where we were in SPAC mania um, back, back in 2021. Um, and, and I think from a, from a founder perspective, right, like, um, you know, if I'm advising either new, you know, new kind of founders in my portfolio who are, who are about to join, you know, people ask me at industry events, kind of what, where my head's at, you know, I, I would say, the, the, the kind of top opportunities are still being funded and they're being actually funded in a, in a pretty meaningful way when it comes to oversubscribed rounds um, because there is a bit of a flight to quality right now. And I think what that means for groups that maybe are still in that kind of discovery phase of, of finding product market fit is you just need to build in contingency plans. It's, it's okay to take a little bit extra capital and, and take a little bit, a little bit of dilution um, you know, try to try to say yes to that to that last check in um, that might give you an extra three or four months of runway, um, and 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 help you bridge to, bridge to profitability. And then I'd say the last the last piece that you know I, I kind of see as a difference from two or three years ago versus this year is I used to see pitch decks where the growth levers were you know five to ten in number, and the founder told me, hey, we're going to do all ten of these. Like we're gonna raise a big round. I'm gonna I'm gonna attack every market. I'm gonna invest in product. I'm gonna go all sorts of different directions because the cap the, the capital is available to do that. And I think today a lot of the founders that I'm working with are being hyper focused and prioritizing and saying, hey, a more efficient sales channel right now is to go B2B. So I'm not even gonna sell anything direct to consumer until I've proven out a couple large relationships. Or they go the opposite and they say, look, the sales cycle in B2B is so long and it's uncertain and it's lumpy and I don't have a lot of cushion from a runway perspective. I'm just going to try to get product in people's hands from a direct-to-consumer side. And once I have more of a stable base, then I go back and say, hey, hmm. now it's time to pick, to pick those conversations up. And I, I guarantee you that that founder a few years ago would have told all of his investors, you know, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do both at the same time, see what sticks. Uh, and go from there. T 
to, to, to that end, have your exit multiple expectations changed at all in terms of looking looking at the businesses in the current economic climate, or do they remain the same? It's just that the check size changes accordingly. Yeah, I'd say you know on the on the entry, we're we're probably getting in a little bit lower, which mm-hmm. which which helps which helps returns in the long run. Um, our our exit expectations haven't haven't changed. Um, but what I have messaged to my group is, you know, let's be prepared to hold on to these things um, for, for a little bit longer, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is a high performing company, um, you know, high valuation, a fair valuation based on where the revenue is. And, you know, if in the past this would have exited sooner, you know, it's going to take a little bit longer. Um, but, but from a multiple standpoint, we're, you know, we're going to be just, just exactly where we were before. Um, if anything, it's more of just a delay. Very interesting. In any case, that about wraps it up for us. So if you like what you heard, please make sure that you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and give us a like and a follow. Make sure you go to our website, sportsloft.co, and subscribe to our newsletter. And make sure that you follow us on Sportsloft at Sportsloft HQ. Um, all that remains for me is to say a huge thank you to our guest for uh, his openness and honesty. I hope we can do this again soon and welcome you back into the Sportsloft podcast. Conrad, thank you for coming on. Love it. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. It was, it was a blast. And to the rest of you, thank you so much. We'll see you again next time in the Sports Loft. Goodbye. <laughs>